This is a reading from uh, Mark chapter four. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just read a passage that said it's very possible for us to hear and yet not hear. And so wherever we are this morning, we pray that you would help us to listen. Whatever obstacles there may be for us to really hear would you remove them? Would you help us to listen that we might know you, that we might dwell with you, that we might receive your love and grow in it and be fruitful in this world? For your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as Tom already said, this is uh, my last Sunday here uh, filling in for Jeff. It's been really fun to be back. Uh, it's been eight years since we've been gone. We left in 2011 to go out east, and it's just been really great to be here each Sunday and to see you all and to have more time to hang out and see you week after week. So. Thanks. Um, we've been in, a, in this series in the early chapters of Mark's gospel, thinking about what does it look like to know Jesus and to follow him in a busy world. And I've said a, n- a number of times that Mark's gospel, you could think of it as the busy gospel because it's focused on Jesus in action. And we come to a passage today, one of the few places in the gospel of Mark where things slow down and Jesus is teaching. One of the... Uh, One of the features of our modern world is it's busy, and one of the aspects of the busyness, I think, is the plethora of voices that surround us. So I want you to think about how many voices are active in your life on a regular basis. So you could think about the voices of the news, that is kind of nonstop news from various sources all the time, Uh, TVs, movies, the shows we watch. Um, You could think of podcasts. When I walk around the campus of University of Delaware, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, I don't think when I was in college this was going on, but everybody has their earbuds in and they're just walking around sort of isolated, uh, listening to voices. You could think of the constancy of interruption from social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, You could think about just friends, family, coworkers, our culture in general. We live in a really, really noisy world. And in a world like that, it's very hard to slow down and to listen well. Uh, Of the many things that the voices are saying to us, I think one prominent theme would be some version of what this voice is saying is, this is how you get a thriving, flourishing, fruitful life. And that can be through all sorts of lenses, so it could be uh, through the lens of politics or through the lens of money or relationships or exercise and health or self-care. It could be through the lens of parenting. The list could go on. But we live in a world that's filled with voices that are trying to tell us how to get a good life. And the passage in Mark is about that. If you notice how the passage ends, it ends with a truly abundant and fruitful harvest. And what Mark wants us to see this morning is that a truly thriving and fruitful life comes from one very simple thing, listening to Jesus. So let's look at this passage, and I want us to think about three things as we consider this passage this morning. First, uh, hearing the word. Second, sowing the word, and then finally, the guaranteed success of the word. So hearing the word, uh, if you look at these verses, I want you to just notice how many times Jesus says something related to hearing. So verse 3, listen. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Verse 12, that they may indeed hear, but not understand. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 18, verse 20. As this parable is explained, each soil is interpreted as representing a different way of hearing Jesus' word. For Mark, to truly understand and know Jesus involves active listening. 
If you're going to come to understand Jesus, you have to actively listen. So an example of this in the Gospel of Mark is the disciples, which is a really interesting case study. Just read through Mark sometime and just pay attention to the disciples. Um, in Mark chapter 8, the disciples have already been with Jesus for a time. Uh, they're having a conversation with Jesus. They become very confused. And Jesus says to them, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having ears, do you not hear? Active listening is a posture where we are open to Jesus. We're, we're open to receive from him, to hear him. So the question we should ask is, are we, are you open to Jesus and his word? A student who graduated from University of Delaware, actually I told his story, this is Austin. Um, this is Austin's story. We were driving back from a retreat this past, uh, this past semester and he was sharing about his early years at the university and oftentimes he said students would ask him to go out and party with them, uh, to go out and experiment, to try different drugs, to do all sorts of things and they would say things like this, how do you know unless you've tried it? How do you know? You should be more open. Why don't you be more open? Come on, try it. And it sounds sort of logically reasonable at one, on the one hand, right? How do I know unless I, unless I try it? And I said something like, it sounds like people say that sort of thing a lot. And he said, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And then I said, what if you said in response, how about you come with me to church every Sunday this semester and you come with me to RUF, every large group and every small group, and every small group, and you read the Gospel of John and we get together once a week and have coffee and we talk about it. How do you know that Jesus isn't who he says he is, that he really can't give you life, that he can't work in you? How do you know unless you're willing to listen? And as I said this, I don't remember his response, but kind of a smile came on his face because you start to see that the supposed openness that perhaps some of us have or friends or others we know, it's really not that open. In a sense, what we're willing to be open to shows the direction that our hearts are already going. If you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus is alone with his uh, 12 disciples and there's others who are with him as well others who are following him and they're asking questions about the parables and Jesus says verse 11 to you it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of God but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven Jesus distinguishes here between insiders and outsiders think about verse 11 to you that is to those who are with him has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. It is for the most part, those who are with Jesus that are going to continue to hear and listen and understand and respond. And I say largely because in Mark uh, and in the Christian life or, or in this world, Insiders and outsiders are not these really fixed categories, like if you're an outsider, there's no way to get in. For example, G uh, Judas Iscariot is an insider here, but he's going to show himself to be an outsider when he later betrays Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, there are going to be many outsiders, like the man possessed with demons in chapter 5, and the woman with the flow of blood in chapter 5, and 
a Roman soldier at the end of the gospel is going to see Jesus die and is going to say, truly this man was the Son of God. There are going to be outsiders who get it and come in. But the question is always, what will you do with Jesus and his word? If you look at verse 12, it's a little tricky. It almost makes it sound like Jesus is intentionally trying to keep people from believing. But following a number of commentators, what I think is more likely here, Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, and he's describing not so much the purpose of his teaching in parables, but the effect. So like Israel from 800 years prior in Isaiah's day, people's hardness of heart is going to be revealed as they reject God's word. In a sense, you could think about it this way. Imagine that you have been in a really, really dark room for hours and hours and hours, and all of a sudden you're brought out into the bright sunshine. What are you going to do? You're probably going to squint. You might cover your eyes. The problem is not the sun, but the fact that, in a sense, we become accustomed to darkness. The response to Jesus' parables, to his teaching, to his purpose, reveal where our heart is whether we're open to him or not. Openness is really good, right? We should be open, but open to what? Jesus calls us to be open to him and his word. I want us to think about some problems that we might have with this. Uh, One big problem, I think, is we come to Jesus not to actively listen, but we come with agendas. And we can come in lots of ways with agendas to be reinforced, in a sense, with what we want to hear and believe about Jesus and nothing else. Uh, This can be true of us, I think, in the church. It can be true of us if you're here and you're not a Christian, true of our friends and neighbors who don't believe. We can come to Jesus with all sorts of agendas. You could think about political agendas, whether it's from the right or it's from the left. We can come to Jesus with preformed ideas about who God is and what following Jesus entails. And so maybe you've said this, maybe you've heard someone else say, well, you know, I like to think of God like this. Or, you know, I don't think God really cares about X, right? I don't think God really cares about our money. It's my money, I worked really hard for it. I don't think God really cares about that. Or I don't think God really cares about what we do with our bodies or how we do relationships or how we think about sexuality, how we use sexuality. I think God just wants us to be happy, you know, whatever that means. We can come perhaps sometimes to Jesus even with really good theology, but we come to be reinforced so we can wield that theology in a way that does not reflect his grace. It's really easy to come not open to Jesus. But listening to Jesus means that we come not predetermining who he is and what he's able and not able to say to us. It means that we come with our agenda surrendered. It means that we come to receive from him that his word might be planted in us, that it might bud, that it might grow into something beautiful. In the parable, uh, verses 3 through 9, and then the explanation of 13 through 20, Jesus speaks of four soils three of which do not really hear the word and one that does. So let's look at each of these and think about um, particularly the three unfruitful soils and ask the question, how are they not hearing? So of the three that don't bear fruit, the first 
Jesus says, this is verse 4 and verse 15, the word that is sown on the path. Here, the word never really gets in. It remains on the surface, but it never penetrates. And then Jesus says that in addition to this, satanic spiritual forces pictured as birds in the parable come down, swoop down, and devour the word. So there is both, in a sense, a hardness of heart, but then there's also the reality of spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, but I think in the modern West, we don't always really think about the reality of spiritual warfare. If you're here this morning and that sounds really weird to you, just consider this. If you believe in God, or even if you think that you could believe in God and you could see how that would be rational, how could you just reject out of hand the possibility that there could be a real personal spiritual evil in the world? And if you're willing to listen to Jesus, Jesus is telling us there is such an evil in the world, and it is set on you not hearing the word. The second soil, uh, verses 5 and 6, and then 16 and 17, this is the rocky ground. And here, the word gets in. So there's some aspect of hearing Jesus. And verse 16, uh, we read, there's even initial joy and excitement, but there's no root. Hearing Jesus doesn't go deep into the heart. It doesn't pierce into the core of who you really are into your identity. Jesus says eventually there's going to be some kind of difficulty that comes from following him because Jesus can be controversial and it's not always popular to listen to him and follow him and there's going to be some kind of hardship and this one's going to just fall away. It's going to turn away. And then the third soil, verses 7 and then 18 and 19, this is the thorny ground. And here again, the word gets in. There's some kind of hearing But verse 19, this is a distracted hearing. There are too many other voices. It says the worries of this life. And think about that. I mean, we could be here all day if we listed off the worries of this life. What are you worried about this morning? Jesus adds the deceitfulness of wealth. Think about that. He doesn't tell us how it's deceitful, whether it's deceitful because we don't feel needy, we feel like we're okay, or we have the ability to live in relative comfort, security, pleasure, and there's something about it that can deceive us so that we don't really see the world rightly, we don't really see ourselves rightly, we don't really listen. And finally, Jesus just says, desire for other things, which is kind of a nice catch-all for saying, that we love and we yearn for things other than Jesus. Other voices are sweeter than his voice. Other agendas are more important, more compelling. And so the word gets choked out. How are you hearing Jesus? Let's think about sowing the word. Uh, A Christian is someone who is open to Jesus and is really hearing and receiving Jesus' word, and this produces fruit in this person's life. And one aspect of that fruitfulness is sowing this word. This word that has become life-giving to you is something that you are now sowing in this world. And I'm gonna assume something about you this morning if you're here and you're a Christian. And in some ways, I'm gonna assume it because I think it's also true of myself. That it's hard for you to think about being openly Christian 
in all of your relationships. And it's hard for you to think about sowing the word like we see in this parable. Because think about how this guy sows the seed, how the sower sows. Verse 3, the sower is active. He's not passive. This is uh, a person who goes out, in a sense, who's not just waiting for people to come in. This is someone who takes initiative. The sower spreads the good news without discrimination. He doesn't survey the ground and take soil samples and determine, this is a place where I can sow. I will not sow over here. It's almost sort of reckless the way he's doing this. I mean, the picture is kind of this like just throwing the seed everywhere. We'll just be really open with this word, with this seed, see what happens. I heard uh, another pastor say once, and I found this really convicting and helpful. Telling people about Jesus is a justice issue. As a millennial, Justice issues are supposed, you know, they really grab millennials' hearts. Maybe that's why. But I really thought about what he said, and, and his argument was, if Jesus is who he says he is, and we believe that, people have a right to know. People have a right to know who they are, don't they? People have a right to know who God is. They have a right to know how they can be restored into fellowship with God. Telling people about Jesus is a justice issue. I think if I'm honest, sometimes I discriminate. I look at people who fit my criteria. They seem needy of Jesus. Or I could see them receiving Jesus, so I'll tell them. Uh, Rico Tice, uh, perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, He's a pastor in England. He co-authored this evangelistic um, program called Christianity Explored. He writes in one of his books about how he came to faith. Uh, he He did not grow up a Christian. When he was 16, his uncle suddenly died, and he was in a church, and he heard the gospel about the one who died for us and defeated death. And he talks about in this book uh, how he was in a school and an academic culture that was all about proving yourself, proving you're good enough. And finally, it's like in Jesus, he had the answer to life's problems. He had life's answer. He writes in this book, he says, in an environment that says you aren't good enough and so you need to prove yourself, you can imagine my joy, the joy that came in discovering that I didn't have to prove myself to God that I was given Christ's perfection for free, that I live by his performance and not my own. Prove yourself, not to him. You aren't good enough? Exactly. Succeed, he already has. So he has this newfound joy, and he starts telling people in his school about Jesus, and his classmates begin to ridicule him, and they make this spoof newsletter of him, and they pass it around the whole school. And he reflects back and he says this, I came to faith in Jesus and I thought, this is wonderful. I started telling people and they said, no, it's not wonderful at all. And he goes on to say, if you're gonna talk to people about Jesus, you are going to get hurt. It's going to sever some relationships. 
It's going to provoke some people. Not every time, depending on circumstances, friendship groups, workplaces, and so on, our experiences will vary, but we will face rejection enough of the time to give us second thoughts because I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like getting hurt. Think about the parable again. Think about, in one sense, how many things can go wrong for that seed to actually produce fruit. You could imagine why a person, someone who's even really received Jesus and is listening to him, would be reluctant to spread this word. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel that way. You feel like, I'm not an expert. I'm not a spiritual gardener. I don't have the tools. And so you just don't. And I've not mentioned this before, but uh, Mark's readers, the original readers of this gospel, most scholars think that Mark was written in the 60s. 60 AD to a largely Roman audience, and this would have been during the reign of Emperor Nero. And a a Roman historian, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, Tacitus, wrote about Nero's reign and what happened after the burning of Rome. So you see, Emperor Nero was thought to have started this fire, but he needed a scapegoat. And so he placed the blame on the Christians. And this is what Tacitus writes about what happened. Intense persecution followed. Christians were dressed in wild animal skins and torn to pieces by dogs and wild animals. They were crucified. They were impaled on stakes, covered in pitch, and lit on fire in Nero's garden. Now how in the word do you continue to follow Jesus Do you continue to be open with your faith and even tell people about him if that is the context that you live in? You have to know that this word is actually going to be successful. Let's think finally the guaranteed success of the word. In verse 20, Jesus says of that fourth soil, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is really the point of the parable. There is going to be fruit. Despite all the problems, despite all the things that can go wrong, there will be true hearers of Jesus. There's going to be fruit, and not just a little fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, that is insane amount of fruit. That is a fruit that you would say that is not humanly possible. That is a supernatural thing that is happening here. And this is going to happen. And in one sense, we could say this is absolutely guaranteed to happen because the seed is not just God's word. It's not just the gospel, but it's Jesus himself. It's his person. So in John chapter 24, or sorry, John chapter 12, verse 24, just days before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be sown into the earth. I am going to die. And I am going to be raised again. And all who are connected to me are going to be fruitful He guarantees our fruitfulness. He guarantees the fruitfulness of the gospel message. And that means that regardless of where you are today, if you've had a really bad week, or it's been a really hard year, or a really hard, like, 50 years, if you are connected to Him, fruitfulness 
is guaranteed. Rico Tice, in that same book, shares about one of his fellow classmates who later reflected on their time together at school. His classmate wrote this, I knew Rico at school, though not well. We were in different classes, though we played on the same cricket team. I distinctly remember Rico's conversion at school, and I suspect if you asked most of our contemporaries, they would remember it, even though it was over 30 years ago. Why was it so memorable? For two reasons. Firstly, the merciless reaction showed toward Rico, the constant, public, private attempts to humiliate him and get him to relinquish his newfound faith, which went on for many, many months. Second, and what really stuck with me, was how Rico carried himself during such a difficult time. The easy option would have been to turn back and keep quiet, but Rico stuck to his faith, and he kept talking about his faith. And although I didn't realize it at the time, Rico's conversion and resolute faith sowed the first seed in my mind. Who was it who gave Rico such strength? Surely he was not doing this on his own. This was, my, this was the first stage in my own journey, which years later led me to Jesus. The power of the gospel, the power of a fruitful, thriving life is not locked up in some vault. It's not for people who are really competent and can work their way and get it, the few who can make it there. It's literally right in front of you. It is in your hands. It is the good news of Jesus. Receive it. Hear it. Sow it. Its fruitfulness is guaranteed by the one who died and rose again to make you fruitful. Let's take a moment to pause and pray in silent confession, and, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we long to lead lives of fruitfulness and thriving. Would you convince us, wherever we are in our hearts, whatever obstacles there are, that this fruitfulness is through you? Would you help us when we feel like we can't, we're not able, we're not equipped, to realize that's true, but you are able and you can work through us, and you are working through us. Would you encourage us to continue casting ourselves upon you and to look to you in all of these things? Would you help us, we pray in your name. Amen. The good news of the gospel, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thanks be to God.